Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 66 of the Stomp the Bus show. I'm your host, Mark Harris, alongside Colton Dodgson. Uh, and we got a lot to talk about. There's, you know, ASU just uh, finished up its early signing day class, got in some transfers. ASU men's basketball continues uh, to struggle, <laughs> putting that lightly, and uh, we're going to talk about it. So, Colton, how's it going, my man? Good, man. I, I really appreciate your commitment to the, the episode numbers. I think it's cool that you kept that running. What's what's it been? Two years that we're doing this show? Year and Something a half. Like Year and a half. Well, that's that's impressive too. But yeah, the episode numbers every show that that's just that's dedication. So I have to point that out and tip my cap to you for that. We're uh, three episodes away from a big a big number. Oh. Uh, I, I know that's why you started this show to eventually be able to to hit that, and I think that's why uh, you've been so dedicated to keep it alive till its golden birthday, um, and then beyond. But so far, so good. I'm almost on winter break, um, so a nice two weeks off incoming after tomorrow. So can never complain about that. You guys have school tomorrow too. Uh, it's like a work day. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, we got to go in, say hello, and then say goodbye, <laughs> essentially. So uh, nothing Fun too stuff. demanding. Nothing too demanding, you know. Just got to uh, – I'm typically a first one in, last one out type of guy. You know me. Of course. Uh, that is that is with your personality. That's the cold night. Yeah, and, and, you know, rent is due every day. Success isn't owned at least, so – um, I'm not trying to miss any rent payments. Uh, I'm going to go in, I'm going to pay rent like I do every day. Um, and then I'm going to head out. So that's, that's my plan. There you go. All right. Well, uh, it's, it, you weren't the only Valley native working hard recently because Kenny Dillingham is out, out on the recruiting trail, out on the transfer trail. Just call the show the segue hour with Mark. That's right. That's right. There yeah. you go. Uh, but yeah, ASU wraps up its early signing day class. It's important to remember this is the early signing day class. There are still, I'm sure they're still after a few recruits uh, here and there. And because um, the official signing days, I think it's still in February. So this is not the final uh, 2024 ASU recruiting class, but it's a good general representation. Uh, they have. Just in terms of high school, uh, they have 18 commits, 17 of which or of whom have uh, signed their letter of intent. Colin Charles out of St. Martinville, Louisiana, is still a hard commit, but there isn't any sort of like rumors of him going elsewhere. Uh, they really added a lot of – they added a, a two big offensive line – or three big offensive linemen recently with uh, Terrell Kim – out of Medford, Oregon, Filiva'a Saluni uh, out of Kahuku, Hawaii. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that right. We'll see. And then Samisi Tonga, uh, 6'4", 310 interior offensive lineman from West High School in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, you know, just Colton, what's something that, what's kind of a thought that sticks out to you about this early signing day class so far? <clears throat> yeah, some of the not only some of the the uh, pedigree of some of these recruits like Jason Brown and, and uh, Jaden Fortier and, and some of those guys, but where they're coming from, right? The Pacific Northwest is, is something that it seems like this staff has hit extremely hard and is, is taking pride in, in hitting extremely hard. Jaden, Jaden Fortier is the number one recruit out of Oregon, right? Yeah. And, and he seems to be bringing a lot of those guys with them or, or, um, at the forefront of trying to bring those guys here. So, one, it shows his level of commitment to this program and, and, and his excitement <laughs> to play here, um, but also his his um, desire to bring more of those guys here, which is which is awesome. Um, I, I've been – I feel like so much of this stuff happens way more than I thought in terms of recruiting – so much of this stuff happens on Twitter. Like it blows my mind how active these coaches are on Twitter, but you <laughs> kind of have to be because all yeah. of these kids are, are so online now. Like you, you have to sort of, um, that's, that's such a pivotal part of, of 
swaying these guys and, and hyping up what's going on. And they've done a great job of that. Um, a lot of these guys are, are Polynesian players too, which seems to be something that, that uh, this staff is really hammering home on too, is setting sort of like a building that tradition a little bit with this program. Yep. And, and a lot of those players are, are steering into that as well. I've noticed, um, especially online and on social media and stuff, uh, which is cool, man. It, it's cool to see, um these guys so excited to come here and excited to play uh for a program that's trying to develop that that tradition right um or mm -hmm. staff that's trying to develop that tradition a little bit and what what seems to stand out to me as well or what has stood out to me um is the excitement for next year it seems like a lot of these guys are like we're not done yet wait till next year wait to see who's coming next year all of this stuff so um it seems it's a very promising it, – it, it seems like – I'm pretty sure this is the first class Dillingham has recruited, right? Um, he didn't get first much. First full class. Stuff. Like first – right, 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 right. Yeah. I was trying to, like, do the math in my head and, and recall how much time he had recruiting when he first came in. But this is, like, with a year under his belt, his first full recruiting class. And I think the returns have been – very promising, especially given the state of the program last year. Um, it seems yeah. like a lot of these guys are excited to come in and excited to contribute and excited to help um, build out this program a little bit. I also see Prescott Valley on here. Um, James and, Giggy, and, the lineman. Yeah, yeah, which is which is interesting. It's like do your thing and, and we'll find you sort of. Uh, well, you got Jim, well. Apparently yeah. uh, the reason – they offered they offered him a scholarship is just he just went to a camp and just played really well um right and they like even though he fell under the radar they're like oh well okay like maybe he's not getting recruited as highly because he's from prescott but right, play, right. like that's, if that's if he did well enough at the camp you know so <clears throat> yeah it looks like he's a three-star guy um not like super underrated maybe from a from a um um, an evaluation standpoint, but underrated to the point that ASU was able to to bring him in, and maybe that will fuel a, a pretty special career. We'll see. I don't know. But uh, then you got Plas Johnson and, and Canyon Floyd, too, a couple local Scottsdale guys, uh, Horizon and Chaparral. So that's cool uh, to see him, you know, shooting for that, that Pacific Northwest pipeline as well as local guys. There's some L.A. in there, some Texas, too. A lot of Texas, awesome. yeah. A lot of Texas. Um, so, yeah, a super promising first class. A lot of good stuff to see. But the, the pedigree of some of these recruits has really stood out to me. Yeah, totally. And it's um, it's funny. They were ranked 45th in the composite. Right now they're uh, 52nd. So I was like, honestly, I'm going to – I was like – I saw that today because I, I was looking at it last night and it was 45th and today it was 52. And I was like, what – because – what the heck like happened? It turns out they didn't uh they pulled an offer for Elijah Besa, who is from Texas. Uh and mm, okay. that if you look at the um if you look at the composite team rankings, like one like where ASU is stat like in the like 45 to 55 range, like ASU on 24-7. It's 194.25, but then all the other schools ahead of them, it's like 195, 195.7, 195, 196. One, like, it's all like if you add one more recruit, you can jump all the way up to like 45 again. And that just kind of shows you like you're kind of just bunched in with a lot of other, honestly, a lot of other Big 12 teams. Like, you're near Kansas, you're near West Virginia, Arizona, uh, Cincinnati, BYU, Iowa State, like. Oklahoma State, you're just kind of in the mix um, with all of them. They're the only kind of Big 12 schools that are way ahead of the pack. Um, Texas Tech is 23rd, and they like they have NIL money. Like they have way more NIL money than like the like even a lot of SEC schools. They have more NIL money than them, uh, and they got a five star. Yeah, I know they. I know they got they signed Conyers. Didn't they just get some big high school recruit too? Texas Tech. They got well. They get they they got a five star receiver. Okay, uh, that's five, five four-star guys, and yeah, they uh, brought in Conyers. Conyers is from West Texas too, so that kind of makes sense. But uh, yeah, I mean, they have 
it's it's kind of like Texas A&M in Texas. Like they have the oil money boosters too. And if you're like Texas, like if you're one of those boosters, you're you've been waiting to uh, be able to use NIL money and stuff because you know Texas Tech just hasn't been that great of a program, and this is a great avenue for them to get better. Uh, the only other schools yeah. that are you know, you know, like, way ahead of ASU yeah. in terms of just the rankings in the Big Twelve is other than Texas Tech, you have TCU at thirty-one and UCF at thirty-two, and like those make sense. I mean, TCU was in the national championship game last year. UCF, Gus Malzahn, you know, has a bunch of he's been coaching for years, and they're in you know Orlando too. So, uh, but you know, this is the league that ASU is in, and they're, you know, pretty much right in the middle of the pack right now. They could, I mean, it, it wouldn't be that ridiculous for them to finish with like the fifth, fourth or fifth best uh, class if they add like one or two high, more high school players, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, given the state of, you know, where ASU was last year in terms of wins and losses and bowl and eligibility and this investigation right. over there, all of the things that went on with ASU last year, uh, to turn the page and and be where they're at in terms of recruiting in, let's say, Dillingham's first full recruiting cycle, if, if you're comfortable putting it that way. Um, right. It, it's, it's impressive in terms of the timeline and, and the willingness that some of these guys have uh, to committing to this program. It shows how, how well Dillingham and, and some of his staff members have recruited um, – so early on, I know a couple of his guys, their names escape me right now. Are shot samples, Brian Carrington. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. They're they're two of the top like six recruiters. Um, I think it was in the big 12 or, or maybe on a larger scale right, right now. So um, those two guys then, have done a great job. Dillingham's done a great job. I think what some like a random little wrinkle to this that stood out to me um, was the graphics department. And that was something that I never really knew about. But it's it's. Did you see anything about that on on like Twitter? There was yeah, there was an article the that uh, Football Scoop did, and it was just kind of ranking all the like the best graphic. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, all the best like graphic uh, like like commit graphics that were out there, and ASU was on there, and like it was really cool. Like it was like a multi like level uh yeah it was image. Kind of like a video right it was like yeah. 3d um yeah. and i saw a quote where, where dillingham said that like they made that a huge priority you know and right, these right. are the little That's things yeah and, and and you mentioned how like the importance of being on twitter is for these coaches and someone like these are the little things that really matter and it's a big reason why we're so happy that we have dillingham is because he totally gets all this stuff about modern current day recruiting. You know, it's not just going to someone's right. house and convincing their parents. Oh, you know, this is a 40 year decision, not a four year decision, all, all that stuff. Like that's in the past. Like you gotta be, it, it's a completely different world for better or worse. You know, there's plenty of downsides to it too. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, that just it just showed me like the level of depth that has gone into Dillingham's thinking when it comes yes. to this recruiting is like something that seems it, it could seem so trivial to somebody else like oh okay a graphics department and it was obviously pretty trivial to the last regime because they they, they was, have a full time graphics person right they had a bunch of part time guys and and Dillingham's response was we went out to find the four best guys and. Um, or the four best people, you know, whoever whoever's in yeah. the positions, we're gonna have to find the four best people, um, and, and and make those people full time. And it's like, I think when you value something, like like just value anything and, and create that full time position for somebody for them to to show that what they're bringing to the table is valued in any capacity, right? In any whatever it may right. be, graphics, whatever. Um, you're going to see returns on that. And I think it's interesting that, like, again, it's it's just Twitter graphics of these guys. But it, it's something that, you know, they get to take pride in. And, and who knows, maybe other people want to see, other recruits want to see some 3D graphic of, of themselves. I mean, whatever, right? But it, it's just a small wrinkle, and I think it just shows the level of depth um, that has gone into Dillingham's thinking 
for his his recruiting approach, right? Him and uh, Samples and Carrington as well. So I think um, what they're doing right now and what they've do, done in year one has has laid a pretty promising foundation for what they'll be able to do moving forward. Um, not only with the high school guys, but but with some of these transfers. These transfers um, have me really excited, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, but. I want to get into that in a bit, but uh, no, you mentioned the word depth is so it's such a good word to use for his thinking about this because it's not the it's not the 3D graphic itself that's the reason why you win a recruiting battle or why someone eventually ends up playing for you, but like it shows the level of detail that you're putting into this, the level of like thought, the level of like covering all your bases, like all these little things that add up, you know? And mm -hmm. if you're, look, you're recruiting 17, 18 year olds, like sometimes the, the cosmetic stuff does matter, you know? Like- 100%. Yeah. When you've been looking at that stuff for your, your whole career, you know, you grow up watching NFL guys and college guys and all, of the stuff that goes on with like tv production and and especially with these kids growing up on social media yes. essentially yes. right some of these kids got social media probably entirely too early <laughs> like uh yeah. they've, they've grown up on this stuff so they've seen a lot of these you know recruiting pitches and, and graphics and all of that stuff dating back to uh you know, when they had first started playing football. So, like, seeing themselves in one of those graphics and one of those whatever Twitter yeah. gifs and all of that stuff, man, like, it's it's it seems – again, I keep saying it seems trivial, and I'm sure people listening it is trivial, are like, but why like, does this matter? But to kids who are, like, seeing I, themselves on some of this stuff, it, it could be a big deal. You're absolutely right, man. And it, it's just the, yeah, and especially for, again, like, we have, like, expectations that ASU football should be better than it's been the last two years. I think, you know, that's pretty obvious. But, like, you're still, in the grand scheme of things, a mid-level program, you know, even when you win, even when they were winning, you know, 10 games a year with Todd Graham, like, they were still doing that within the constraints of being a mid-level program. And so you can't just, like, roll the ball out and recruit like your Pete Carroll in the mid, you know, in 2003. And, you know, they were like, oh, they, like USC didn't even have a good weight room back then. It's like, okay, well, they could do that because they had Pete Carroll and they were USC. And like, that's right. ASU, you, you, like you have to look for every single advantage that you can um, in the, you know, NIL and all that stuff. Like there's just a lot of variables. And so, yeah, like all the little details, like the graphic design, like when Dillingham, when players transfer out, He's going on Twitter and being like, this is a great guy. You'll be lucky to have him, even if he may not even yeah. meet him. You know, e even if it's e even if it's like he's like gritting his teeth and being like, oh, I really wish we didn't lose so and so. But it's yeah. better, you know, and I think and sometimes yeah. he does mean it because you saw. Uh, did we talk about this the last episode of Ryan Clark? Ryan Clark. Um, I think I don't did. think so, but I knew exactly okay. what you were talking about. <clears throat> yeah. about it, but I knew exactly what you were talking about and like. Somebody of Ryan Clark's, you know, it was like a podcast that he was on. Yeah, him talking about Kenny Dillingham and the impact that made on him and his his family. Um, that I, that only bodes that that only helps, right? That doesn't right. really hurt, and it doesn't make it doesn't make a recruit feel like, uh, oh, if I, I decide a year down the line that this isn't the right fit for me, like I'm trapped and this guy's going to hate me and he's going to try to sabotage my career, whatever. Right. I'm not saying that goes on, but it, it takes that pressure off a little bit to know that like, okay, I'm coming to this position. And if I, if I need to switch gears a year down the line, that that's not going to be a sky's falling scenario for this guy. Right. And it's another indicator of him not pushing against the current reality of college football too, you know, 100%, like accepting it. Uh, you you just I think he said in his press conference the other day like you just have to adapt like you can't just be like this is how it should be and all this like it, you have you know you have to live in the reality that's present you can't just be like oh this is how it should be so um, 100%. that's good and you mentioned Colton the uh, the Polynesian um, aspect of this recruiting like the just added element of that and I want to show a tweet this is from. Samisi Tonga the other day 
you got you you got uh it's a graphic of you know Terrell Kim, uh Celesi Manu from Reno, Edge Player, Tamisi Tonga, uh Joey Sua and uh Issei Matuia. I'm I'm probably mispronouncing some of these, but like <clears throat> and then Zyrus Fiasau, who was the 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 defensive MVP at San Diego State last year as a linebacker, by yeah. the way. Uh it's it's not like ASU's ever gonna be like Utah or something, or like you know, like where it's like all all poly uh poly guys just because like there's just a higher population of uh Polynesian like people. A deeper, yeah. a deeper tradition, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like it is establishing something, you know, and like the biggest issue with ASU last year was their offensive line. Well, they just added one, two, three, four, five, you know, big offensive linemen. Um, and, you know, not, who knows yeah, if guys these guys may not even play next year at all, but uh, it's just more more bodies, you know. And you you already have Sean Na'a as well. So uh, with the, way, you know, with got, the way they were dropping. Last year, man, we might see these guys play. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen again. Oh you're man, losing, you're losing however many O linemen they lost last season. But I would not be shocked if we saw some of these guys play. But at the very least, having depth is it, it helps you sort of find the right guys. You have options. You're not sort of you're not forced to throw some of these kids in who might not be ready. Right? Um, you've got a couple or just one transfer guy coming in, Joey Sua. Oh, uh, Shanko Matu- Matuita? Yeah, I think I, he goes by Issei. Yeah. And he's he oh, started Issei. at okay. New Mexico a lot. So, Yeah, that's good. That's experience. And Joey Sua, too, coming in from, from Arkansas. Is great. 350. Um, three, that's insane. Um, yeah. That's a big guy. 6'4", 350 is, is unreal. Um, so yeah, addressing that is great too. Um, there, there's just so many guys in this transfer class that, yeah, look like we, we, once we get into it, it's like, you look at the corners, you look at the tight ends, you look at some of the, the front seven guys, relique Brown and, and, and the DB. It's just, dude, it's, it's so awesome. Yeah. Um, totally. What, what they've done on the, the transfer side of things. So a long snapper, man. <laughs> Tyler Wiggins. The most important position. Just mm-hmm. ask the Washington Commanders. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, some other players they just got in recruiting. Uh, Rodney Bimage, corner out of Houston or Houston area. Chris Johnson out of Texas. He's. I think he's going to be a, a really good player, Chris Johnson Jr. Um, Albert Smith, Louisiana. Zechariah Sample, he's kind of a, like, he'll be like a kick returner guy. Um, excited to see him. Ramar Williams, you know, low, not a hugely recruited player, but 6'3", 250. You know, I think he's going to be good out of Mesa. Champ Westbrooks, O-lineman, big frame. Martel Hughes, safety. Tony Tony Lewis Nakua, uh, Nakuba, corner. He talks about Giggy, uh, Plas Johnson, and then, yeah, Canyon Floyd, who... There's a chance Canyon Floyd is the best of these guys relative to his position. Um, oh yeah, in this class. For, like the punter coming into next year, hundred yeah. percent. Emphasis, um, then, emphasis on the phrase relative to his position. Okay, like I'm not actually hundred percent, but when I mean punting and and special teams in general is one one of those positions where it's like you don't know what you have until it's gone. Like that's the dude. Most, punting lost you, us the Cal you know, game. We would have beaten yeah, Cal if we had like adequate punting, but it, it doesn't matter. Right. But it's, like, it's it's the most it's the position that is is most taken for granted on on the field. I absolutely, think. yeah. Uh, um, and if if you're able to have somebody who's steady at that position, I mean, if the Eagles had a steady punter, they they might be Super Bowl champs. But I don't want to scratch that scab, especially given what just happened on Monday, Mark. What um, happened, Cole? I I... <laughs> you, you you stayed alive. That's what happened. That, yeah, that is true. Um, um, but, I mean, the point being, punting is just – it's such an important position, 
that gets no love. And if you're able to have that that steady guy at the position, and we'll see if Canyon Floyd is that guy. That would be awesome if he if he kind of solidifies that position for the foreseeable future. And um, I guess the way we'll he's been talking about it, it's like he yeah, is he's that been he's been like, real hyped up. I've seen it a ton. Um, obviously, I, I work at Horizon, so that's that's cool um, to see that. But um, yeah, man, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's get into the transfers. Um, eighth ranked transfer class, uh, which when you put it all together, that means ASU is at 40th overall in the transfers and high school. So that's a that's a decent spot to be. It's a, like all things considered. Um, I mean, let's just get into it. Rayleigh Brown is the crown jewel of this transfer class. Like when I when I was like, I just remember hearing about, oh, he's considering ASU. And I'm like, oh, OK, like, that's cool. Like. Maybe he'll come to ASU and not, you know, end up actually committing. No, he's here. And, like, he, like, I just, the, what we saw from him out of, at USC last year was really, like, you could just see the athleticism. It just popped off the screen. But former five-star recruit, like, it's just, it's just awesome to have him, you know? Like, honestly, him and, you know, getting him and Jason Brown, like, I guess the one thing that, like, really stood out for people this year is... Like, you saw how Scadaboo was used, and, like, if you're a running back, like, you can see, like, oh, I can see myself thriving in this Dillingham offense, you know? Right. Not only a running back, but, like, a weapon, right? Yeah. A guy Absolutely. who can catch the ball, a guy who can make plays after the catch, a guy who can run it between the tackles. And this is a guy who can seemingly do all of that from – um you talked about it, the pedigree that he had coming out of high school, playing at uh, Mater. Mo- I always mess this up. Mater Day. Modern Day. There you go. Modern Day. There it is. Playing at Modern Day and 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 the, all of the stuff that comes with all of that, right? And the right the hype that has surrounded this guy. So getting him into this this system with Dillingham after what we saw in terms of Dillingham's creativity last year, a lot of it out of necessity. Um, a lot of it because right. he had to, right? But getting a guy like Rayleigh Brown in the mix and, and using him as sort of a weapon in your offense is is such an exciting proposition. And I, I can't wait to see how how him and Scadabo mix in and, and some of the things that we'll see Dillingham do with both of those guys, right? Like seeing both of those dudes in a backfield, like what, what do you do, right? That just puts even more stress yeah. on a defense. And I'm sure we'll see that at some point, right? Mixing in personnel, seeing, getting creative with the packages. Uh, and this guy is such a versatile chess piece to all of that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I So it, it's just so – it's so awesome to get him in here. And uh, I can't wait to see what he does. Yeah, man. Like that is I, – I, I love having – like – and you know what else? Like it's – this is really like – cosmetic but like Rayleigh Brown is a guy that like a lot of people have heard of and again it, it it's like not actually like this doesn't actually win you football games but it it, it is like oh okay like people like larger or uh, higher profile you know football players former recruits are taking Dillingham seriously too I mean you saw that with Rashada you say with Jason Brown I mentioned like so that's very yeah. good that's another guy dude who's gonna come in and Mix in with with Rayleigh Brown and Jason. You got Jason Brown and, and Scadaboo, and the weapons are just the Carlos Brooks. Insane, yes, a hundred percent. Very good. Like, yeah, when he played this past year, like he was good. Um, they have a deep. They have a deep running back room now, and that's 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 been. I mean, as long as we've been watching ASU, you go down the list of of those those running backs that have not only been special, but were special alongside other running backs. Right. Has always been sort of a, a calling card for ASU. And that sort of transcended, you know, head coaches. It's It's been oh, impressive totally. to see how that that element of ASU's offense has, has stayed consistent across the board. Um, but getting that, the, the proposition of something like that back, especially after a year where Scadaboo was kind of, the, not only the workhorse running back, but the punter and occasionally a quarterback and all of those things. Getting that running back depth back um, is, is extremely exciting. And not only that, it's like 
I mean, where are these guys going to line up too? You know, it's not, I don't think a lot of these guys are going to be limited to just the backfield, um, which is cool. Maybe right. you get some, some, some screens in the mix with these guys lining up in the slot. You get a lot of motion going. They're versatile, which is, which is uh, just another element to this, but it's, it's awesome to see. Well, and another thing, uh, I mean, yeah, no, no, you kind of hit it, hit the nail on the head. Um, other transfers, we talked about uh, Matu, Matuia. We talked about Joey Sua. Uh, I want to touch on Kamari Wilson and uh, where is he? LaTerrence Welsh. He's, oh, yeah, LaTerrence Welsh. Both super highly recruited guys at a high school. I mean, uh, 98-07, um, 95-03 for LaTerrence Welsh. Like these are guys that like are border like we're borderline five star guys, go to you know high profile SEC schools. And for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't work out or they're not playing. Um, great to get those guys in. Uh, we talked about Zyrus uh Fiasso already <clears throat> from San Diego State and what he did there. Jordan Crook uh has some experience at linebacker um at Arkansas in the SEC. And I highlight those two guys because we talked about the offensive line problems uh, last season, but the linebacker depth was hit really bad too, you know, and you, you look, you, you, you're, you're going to bring back Tate Romney. You're going to bring back uh, McCullough, but you lose Travion Brown. And so now you, but, but when you bring in Crook and uh, Fiasa, like it's just more depth, it's more high level experience. Um, and it's just good to plug those holes because like, even though like linebacker in, you know, today's football isn't like the most valuable position relative to some others, it's, you, you don't want bad linebackers. Like I don't want to bring up the Eagles, but like, I'm sorry, no, but like, it's, you don't you, do no, that. Like, but that's my I point. Know. Like your reaction. You're 100% like, right. Yeah. Having, having bad linebackers limits, especially in a modern football landscape and facing modern offenses. Yeah. Having, linebackers who cannot play their role limits everything that you do. Yeah. So they're just, they're so important on the field and having not only a solid couple at the top of your, your depth chart, but having that depth at that position and guys who can mix in and guys who can spell other guys and guys who can defend the pass and drop into coverage and, and and run with tight ends and even even hang with slot receivers when they need to man like linebackers are becoming such an underrated staple of a modern defense yeah and and are still being overlooked by certain teams that i don't want to comment on right now uh because they've caused a lot of turmoil for me over the last three weeks for that exact reason a lack of linebacker depth so yeah, for sure we'll leave it at that for sure. Um, touch on a few more guys. Justin Wadley, J.P. Dieter are defensive linemen transfers from Cincinnati and Purdue, respectively. Who knows what to expect from them, but you can never have enough D-line depth. Uh, we talked about Welsh and Wilson. You also have Javen Robinson uh, transferring over from Wazoo. That's big. Uh, tight ends, Cameron Harple from San Diego State, and then... Marcuston Douglas, who is a huge 6'4", 285 as a tight end. That's going to be like, he's going to be used in some yeah. fun ways. But yeah, maybe definitely. the most interesting transfer other than um, Ray League Brown is Sam Levitt from Michigan State. He was a four-star prospect coming out of high school. And he was in the same class as Rashada. And when uh, Levitt announced that he was transferring to ASU, there were some ASU fans, which I understand after being an ASU fan, that were immediately went into panic mode, like, oh, Rashad is going to go, all this. And uh, Dillingham said, you know, the other day that he 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 told Rashad that they were going to add another quarterback. And Rashad is like, that's fine. Like, I'm not worried. I'm not scared of competition and all that. And to me, like, this is a great type of quarterback to get. Because if, like, honestly, like, if Rashada does leave at some point, you have this guy to fill in. And it's like, he was a four-star, you know, high-level recruit as well. So it's not like you're just bringing in some guy who's like, 
you know, probably resigned to be the backup. Like Levitt is coming in here thinking like I have a real chance to start, you know, and and he does, man. He absolutely yeah, does. He does. He no, he does. It, he he. I wouldn't put him as the favorite, but he has a real chance. No, you know. But but this is. I think this is what's so important that can't be overlooked with Levitt as well. Um, you talked about that that element of like, oh, a possible contingency plan and all of that, which is a, definitely a layer of this, right? If if he now you have essentially two dart throws at a guy that can be a more longer term quarterback yeah. for you as long term as a quarterback in the transfer portal era can possibly be right. but not only that you have two guys who are going to be grinding it out all all spring competing or um you know spring and, and fall ball whatever right whenever they do their workouts grinding it out competing for those positions and then you're going to have a dude who not only worked in this system all throughout the offseason. I, I would not be shocked if this is a decision that comes down to the wire, right, uh, given what we saw from Levitt. And, and obviously he came from such a dysfunctional situation. But if he shows up and he plays um, as advertised, essentially, this, this could be sort of a, a, a battle that's not necessarily decided early on. Right. Right. Which the point that I'm making with all of this is now <laughs> let's say Rashada wins this battle two games in, he's hurt and he's going to miss two to three weeks. Right. You have that depth. You still have Borgay, I believe. I haven't seen that Borgay yeah. gone. So you still have Borgay. You still have Levitt or Rashada. And that gives still you Conover and Conover. <laughs> but. <laughs> That, that was, gives you that three, was so Conover, we'll say Conover's there. Conover, is, yeah, he's in the room. No, I, but that gives I, you I get, three guys. That gives you three guys that you could hopefully be confident in running your offense. Which after the the and again we saw an extreme rash of injuries last year. Right. Like, I, I don't think we hopefully we're not going to go through something like that again. But I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility to see your starting quarterback go down at some point and miss some time. Right. So now you're not essentially like, oh, now we have to have Scadaboo through throw six passes and have him have our tight end run the wildcat all the way the down, the, whatever. Right. So it's it's. It's not only like, okay, we have two shots at this thing to find our long-term guy, but now we have the, the depth in the immediate future to, to not be um, completely hopeless should somebody run into to injury trouble. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, so, you know, just kind of putting a bow on this, like, pretty good job by ASU. You know, it, it, it's not, you know, it's not finalized yet and all that. And they can still add, uh, you know, more transfers potentially. So a really good, like, it's just a good solid, like, class. You know, it's not a crazy, like, it's not a crazy, like, you have, you know, like, eight five or four stars committed or something like that. Like, that would be great. Like, I'm not going to pretend that would be, you know. But uh, I feel like they, you know, kind of addressed a lot of positions too, uh, especially. I mean, they they did add a lot of O-linemen. Um I wish they would add one more offensive tackle, uh, you know, transfer. But I mean, the, the offensive offensive tackle, like apparently the offensive tackle market in the transfer portal, like those guys are really valuable because there just aren't that many like good offensive tackles in college football, you know. So uh, who knows where we'll be on that front? Um, another thing that uh, Dillingham said that I or saw, I, ah, I saw that Dillingham said. <laughs> in his uh, press conference following early signing day was that they had like enough, like the NIL money is that came in is real. It's not like totally life-changing for ASU, but it's definitely a step up compared to where we were last year. And that's a big deal, you know? 100%. And it makes you competitive uh, in this yeah. landscape. It's, I mean, whatever you have is better than relying on developing players. So. Right. Totally. Totally. Uh, so good start. It, and again, if it just it feels like Dillingham has a clear vision, you know, for the program. Like it, there is a clear 
uh, path forward, you know, and he, you know, like there's a lot of talk about uh, what he's, his plans are for the 25 class. And so hopefully uh, he builds on this class with that. So do you have any kind of final thoughts before we transition over to men's basketball? Uh, not necessarily. I think, I think we're about to switch gears a little bit um, in terms of optimism, but also like, I don't know. I just feel like this is the Bobby Hurley experience. This is how it always happens. You know, like, I, feel no, like, I was talking about football. No, 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 no. I know. And I'm, I'm, I'm oh. just thinking basketball in terms of like, never mind. I, I got ahead of myself, but for football, no, we're good. I'm excited. Foundation seems solid. I'm excited to see where they go from here. Um, and, and what this team continues to be, how this team continues to be shaped leading up to next season. Absolutely. All right. Well, we got to talk about <laughs> what's happened with ASU men's basketball recently. And uh, it's not good. It is not good. There's no, no fun way to say it. They've been absolutely blown off the floor in their past two games. Um and prior to that, they lost on the road at San Diego, not San Diego State, San Diego. Um, this is, I feel like this is the low point of the Hurley era. And I know that there have been some ugly games over the Hurley era. Um, and maybe I'm forgetting, I guess I'm not, I'm just not holding the first two years against him because it was still like building the program. Um and I'm, maybe I'm just making excuses for the, you know, the COVID, uh, you know, whatever, 2021, I think it was, or just some of those years where just COVID really threw off the program. But man, like this is, there's just, right now there's just not like an excuse. Like it's just, how can, they shouldn't be this bad, you know? That's, that's kind of where my head is at. 100%. I mean, it's just like every time watching you watch this team, they are so streaky. And it's it's a known fact that Bobby Hurley, like, will kind of just let his guys freelance as long as they're intense on the defensive side. Or, like, that's kind right. of the trope with this team, right? That's kind of the mentality. Everybody knows that's Bobby Hurley's approach with his players is, like, as long as you play hard, kind of do what you want. Um and I mean, sometimes that works, but that just shows it's just a system that will magnify how streaky guys can be, especially at this level. Right. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're unconscious and Bobby Hurley teams can can get unconscious. We saw that against Nevada last year. Right. In that in that uh, first four game. But when they're off and there's no system to like rely on it's kind of just okay fight back fight back you know get back into it It, and they're cold when they're cold they're they're gonna lose by one it's like they're not gonna be a competitive team when they're not on there's nothing really there for them to like settle into and maybe it's tough to do that when you have to turn over your roster every year but that's just the state of college basketball yeah that's the thing yeah i agree with everybody's roster like I don't know, but this is the Bobby Hurley experience, man. Like, you, you go through stuff like this. I remember last year it was the loss to to San Francisco. Um, uh, didn't they lose to somebody else, too, that was like they shouldn't have lost to early on? In the they lost to, yeah, they lost to Texas Southern. But I guess okay, we're going back, to push back at you on, like, this is the Bobby Hurley experience. Is like they also beat Michigan last year. They beat VCU. I think they beat another – uh, power true. five team that's good. Like I, I don't have their last year's schedule at me, but like this year in they played uh, uh, five games against you know power five power you know what power competition. They've been blown out in four of those games. They beat Vanderbilt, but they got blown out by Mississippi State. They got blown out by BYU, and I. Look, like I've been a huge Hurley defender because ASU basketball historically is just a bad basketball program. Like, especially if you compare like the history of ASU basketball to all the teams in, you know, power five leagues and power six, if you include the Big East, whatever. Like 
it's probably bottom five. Like it's really bad. Like there, and so that's why like I'm okay with like uneven, uneven game flow, uneven like weird streaky stretches throughout the season because it has led ASU to three tournament berths and a would have been tournament berth in 2020, right? Like, so I have been okay yeah. with the downsides, but I just don't think it's ever been this bad, you know, and especially after getting could, blown out by TCU and you're playing in Phoenix against Northwestern on Wednesday night. And I get it. It wasn't like there was a ton of ASU fans there and all that, but that was a huge game. Like if you had won that game against Northwestern, I think you're entering um, conference play at seven and four instead of six and five. You would have had a, you would have had a good win under your belt because Northwestern's good, but they, he scored 13 mm. points in the first half. And like, it felt like the only way they were going to score is if Frankie Collins got a fast break. <laughs> like, that's yeah. that's just that's, that's, that's just the downside like, to the offensive that re- philosophy. Like, that reminds me of like some of our intramural basketball games in college, where like we were in a league that we shouldn't have been in. We're like playing guys who like played high school basketball, you know, and we're like, what? Like that's what it looked like, and that's like not what <laughs> not, not the thought that should be going yeah. through my head. Um, no, you're 100 right, man, and I, I think you might be onto something with the you know the the thought that it's never never really looked bad because I don't think it has either. Um, and it, you know, scoring 13 points and a half is is just insane, and that's it's weird because the non-con is kind of bookended by two terrible offensive performances. They did yeah. the same thing against Mississippi State to open the season, and it's troubling that they're now doing the exact same thing on the heels of three straight losses um, to, to end the non-con leading into conference play. So you're absolutely right. It's troubling. Um, they, I mean, their best win over the stretch might've been who SMU probably SMU. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not, not great in terms of conference or tournament prospects. I, those look extremely, dude, I can't even, extremely, yeah. Uh, him right now so <laughs> yeah it's not great i'm with you no it, and it's just like i get that zane meeks and sean phillips are injured and you missed you had some time without adam miller this year but like again like i was i was like defending the team on the, our last episode and like oh well you know mississippi state's good and byu's good and sometimes you lose some of these games like but it all came down to you weren't losing the to like the really small schools up until you lose to San Diego and you had opportunities ahead of you. It's like, okay, well, if you split against TCU and Northwestern, then that puts you in a good spot because those are two good programs. Instead, you lose by a combined 39 points. You know, it's <coughs> and the other thing is like, ASU's going to have a new ID soon, eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, and if we're like, taking off, you know, the ASU shirt that I'm wearing right now and just look at it as a completely, like, neutral perspective. I just don't think the AD is going to be like, yeah, we're going to roll with Hurley in the future as we head to the Big 12, you know? I just don't. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point, especially when you consider, like, he was hired by a previous regime. You see that a lot of times where it's like – you see that pretty often where in, in a yeah. lot of circumstances where it's um, – you know, a, a holdover from a previous tenure, and you evaluate that with sort of a different lens. You don't really have the commitment level that somebody else might have had, depending on your outlook on the performance, right? Um, so it's, I guess, it's definitely up for debate. Considering, in, in, in I guess you, you'll have to consider the rest, how the rest of the season goes. Of course, who they hire, who they hire, all those sorts of things. Um, if they go on like a seven game conference winning streak, it's like, okay, that's just the Hurley experience. But uh, you know, I, I agree with you. This is probably, it, it is somewhat par for the course in terms of what we've seen under Hurley, but it's way worse yes. than what we've seen under yeah. Hurley. Right? Yeah. And like you mentioned, I, like I think the, I would agree with you. Yeah. Like you mentioned a hypothetical, like seven game conference winning streak and like, there are ASU teams in the past that have like done like stuff like that. 
But I just don't see it coming with this team. I don't. And the Pac-12 is also better than it was. It's better this year than it was last year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's benefits and downsides to that because if you lose a bad game last year, it could have messed you, you know. But still, on a night-to-night basis, it's going to be harder this year. Both the Washington 100%. schools are better. Arizona looks to be better than they were last year. Utah's better. Colorado's better. Oregon's better. Like Oregon State's better. You know, ironically, it's the two LA schools that have been the biggest disappointments. Uh, which is funny to me, but um, it's, yeah, it's just like, it's, it just feels like there's no, like, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, you know? With basketball. Yeah. Oh, yeah, specifically with that, yeah. I think, no, 100%. And I, I agree with you. It's it's not like, I, I think it's a, such a stark contrast to what we're seeing with football, where it's like, okay, this is progress. This is momentum in terms of the personnel and who you're bringing in. Um, obviously, basketball is a much smaller roster. <laughs> it's a way different landscape in terms of professional prospects and, and the guys who stick around for longer term, whatever, right? Yeah. All of those things considered and taken into to account, it's, it's two programs with, like, completely different outlooks, I feel, in terms of, like, you can't even look at this as, like, okay, so what, what are they building on? It's no. we we kind of know what's going to happen. It's going to be roster turnover next year in a much better basketball conference. We've talked about that a lot on this show too. ASU might be one of the worst teams. Will be looking like it, yeah. In the Big Twelve for however long, right? Like, yeah. Um. So while the prospects for football kind of that outlook looks a little better in terms of conference realignment. It's so much worse for basketball, um, and we'll we'll kind of see one what Bobby Hurley's future looks like once ASU makes a new AD hire, and right. that AD is, is given time to evaluate Hurley and, and things like that. Consider the financial ramification, whatever. Right? Uh, we'll see what that looks like, but I, I think we're looking at two programs that are trending in different directions. Yeah, and the other thing with basketball it's like the elephant in the room and this is one of the reasons why i've been defend like defended bobby is the arena like it's not we've talked about the arena a bunch like it's you know but it's just not up to snuff and it's still an issue obviously and that again it's one of the reasons why i've been like bobby's had to overcome that but you can't just be like i i don't have like an endless supply of uh forgiveness you know like you can't just be getting blown off the court. Like, so yeah, ASU men's basketball, not in a good spot. So do you have anything to add before we kind of touch on a few things and wrap this up? Not really, man. I agree with you. Um, There's not much to talk about with ASU basketball. It's, it's just a wait and see. We'll see how they look with, with the conference schedule coming up. Yeah. And, you know, I know (laughs) there's, we have talked about like Bobby did get some really good recruits. Like we have a good recruiting class, but at this point, like <coughs> it just, that doesn't move the needle for me, you know? So we'll see, you know, maybe they, you know, sweep the Bay area schools and get a split with Cal and Utah the following weekend and things are looking up and what would they be a uh, nine and six? When you say it out loud, that doesn't sound that great, but like they would it's be playing better. better but even that, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's yeah. much more likely they go one and three in their next four games and go three and one. So not good. Um, a few more ASU things to touch on uh, quickly with volleyball. We've been talking about them all year. Uh, they played like a day or two after our uh, most recent show lost to Stanford in four sets, won the first set, but then uh, lost the next three. Honestly, a great season for volleyball. Like that's just, you, losing to Stanford is not a shame at all. They're a great program. Uh, hockey, they remain at number 13 in the USCHO poll. Uh, they had two ties with Dartmouth one weekend, then went on the road and swept Robert Morris. And they're going to play in this thing called the Adirondack Invitational next week, where they play Clarkson, Cornell, and UMass. So I think uh, it's to go to that. Is that, one at, is that one at Mullet? Uh, no, it's in it's in New York. Like 
upstate New York. Oh, there, but there's a tournament at Mullet coming I, up. Yeah, right? I think there's a tournament after this one. Oh, the Desert Hockey Classic, isn't that it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So whatever it is, I'm supposed to be going to that. So I'm excited to go see them play. I haven't seen them play in years, so it, it'll be cool to see it. Have you been to Mullet? I've never been. I've heard it's, great it's things. Pretty cool. pictures, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking a, forward to checking it out, man. Yeah, it's a fun environment. Um, and uh, another thing that happened in between our most recent shows is a certain former ASU quarterback won the Heisman. Uh, Jaden Daniels oh, yeah. beat out Michael Penix and Bo Nix and Marvin Harrison to win the Heisman. Um, honestly, he totally deserves it. Like, I'm not going to come at and say, like, he, he didn't, he's, you know, all that. And, like, no, like, he totally deserves it. Um, another thought I have is this would be a lot, this would sting a lot more if LSU had gone 11 and one and it would, it, it, it was in the college football playoff right now. Uh, but they went nine and three. So it, it, it just doesn't sting as much as an ASU fan. And that's really not even a fault of Jaden Daniels because, uh, pretty much other than the Florida state game, their first game. I mean, they lost like a shootout to Ole Miss and he was injured against Alabama. So it's like, <clears throat> I get why he won the Heisman. Um, and then yeah. it's just, I think just, just such like such an incredible season. And I'm going to, sorry, you can go ahead and, and finish. Oh, no, no, thought. no, no, go ahead. Just his draft stock uh, tremendously. Oh, yeah. To where we're going to see this guy possibly as the top 15 pick in April. So absolutely. And, as a Seahawks fan, like I'd be totally happy if they drafted him. It, you know, if you're not Seahawks... rolling with Drew Locke, <laughs> dude, don't even get me. There is so much sports radio debate about Drew Locke versus Geno Smith right now, and, and to me, like it's Geno's been so much better than Drew Locke. I don't even think it's a that's, that's the, real that's conversation. The James Bradbury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, but if the Seahawks do end up drafting. Uh, Jaden Daniels, I'd be very happy. And one more final thought I have. Uh, this came from a tweet from Adam Brenneman, who was actually a former ASU coach. And it just illustrates how, I don't know if you can see this, Colton, but it, it just illustrates oh, yeah. how, I saw this. Uh, how much the 2021 ASU team just underachieved. I mean, you have Jaden Daniels, Johnny Wilson, Rashad White, Ricky Pearsall, Conyers, Chip Trainum, Curtis Hodges, Ladarius Henderson. Someone someone replies, snuck Hodges in there, LMAO. Hey, Curtis Hodges is in the NFL. Um, He's an NFL tight end, man. Yeah, or at least or he was. So, I, But, I mean, he wasn't like, you know, no one was expecting him to have like 10 touchdown receptions that year. But all the rest of the guys, like Jalen Conyers was younger and like, but like, yeah, it it just does. That really picks at the wound a little bit of that 2021 season, where it's like, man, like they should have gone better than eight and five. You know, I'm sorry. Like, I know, I know, an eight and four season, like throughout, like the history of ASU is like not bad. But that just just looking at it only from that sense just completely completely removes all the context um, and how much penalties they had, and they went one and one and four against winning teams in the regular season, which that's just, and they had a relatively easy schedule. You know, we, we had our first show, you were saying ASU should have been the team that Utah uh, was that 2021 season. And when you look at the talent, like it, it's not just some Homer ASU fan opinion, you know, like, no. yeah, they do. They had uh, some solid, that's just their offense, man. They're they had yeah. some solid defensive players on that team too. There was talent on both sides of the, the ball um so just massively underachieved and i it's 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 a bummer man but uh good for Jaden daniels he had a great Absolutely. year uh boosted his draft stock um yeah we'll be watching him we'll be watching him on sundays that's for sure he'll be a nice uh fantasy quarterback too i think he will be an awesome fantasy quarterback uh yeah. no like <coughs> All that 2021 team had to do is go 10 and 2. And they probably would have gone to like, even if they didn't win the Pac 12, even if they didn't beat Utah on the road, like, forget about even just like Pac 12, just go 10 and 2, 
there's a chance you may have gone to a New Year's Six Bowl. And, like, that would have been ex- – like, that is all – that's, like, what I'm asking for as an ASU fan. Like, take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves to you. And they did yeah. not do that that year. They, they had a window for sure. Yeah. And especially the thing – I mean, we all knew – everyone knew who followed the program, like, bad things were coming down the way. So – you like just take advantage of this talented roster and a pretty easy schedule uh, while you have it. And they didn't fully do that because um, they didn't even play Oregon that year. They Oregon wasn't on their schedule and they also caught USC and UW in like their two of their worst years ever. Like both of those schools went four and eight that year. So yeah, just uh, not fun, but happy for Jaden totally deserves it. Uh, no salt here. Uh, in for any of the players, um, yeah. So, all right, Colton. Any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? I think your uh, I think your screen's frozen. Uh, oh, oh there you are. all right. I just said uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up. Uh no, man. I think we covered everything. Good show. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Looking. Uh, from football moving forward, not necessarily basketball, but. For sure. All right. Well, Colton, thanks for com- coming on. Um, uh, we'll probably, our next episode will probably be sometime in the new year. So uh, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, and uh, Go Devils.